Hey guys, whether it's for you or that special someone, you know you gotta take care of your nether regions. That's right, we're talking about precision engineered tools for your family jewels. You don't want to be nicking yourself down below. Uh, anyone who's ever tried it has a horror story and knows if they've tried to use their own tools, it can go wrong. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting this technology, and now they have the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. You will get 20% off your entire purchase and free shipping if you use code DNVR20. You got to keep yourself fresh. You got to keep yourself clean. You got to keep yourself feeling good. Like I said, even if it's for you, just for you, or if it's for that special someone, this is the best way to make sure that everything you got going on is feeling good. So get 20% off your entire purchase, plus free shipping using code DNVR20. And go. Ball in the air, deep right center go. field. Two run, home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two run, home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Alright, welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Mile High Green Cross. Sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. Make sure that you tag them and show them and us how you're supporting the community because we're all in this thing together. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies and as you were probably aware of the routine by now, we are dropping back in to our conversation on Ken Burns baseball. We were still in the middle of inning three. Myself, Patrick Lyons, and my mother, Barbara Creaseman, uh, were discussing any number of elements of uh, the early 1910 to 1920 decade, but we really dive in to uh, the Black Sox scandal here, as you will hear. So open up a Breck Brew. Uh, it's Hot Peak IPA time. If you're into the IPAs, if that's not your thing, break out the Strawberry Sky, and we pick up right in the middle of our conversation on Ken Burns Baseball. Yeah, it, before we started recording, I started thinking about how this inning, you know, bookends with these these great um, honest and, and, and good men. And as far as, you know, Connie Mack and, and Branch Rickey are concerned, and then it, it kind of ends with, with the scandal. And I think each inning discusses a scandal in baseball because, you know, it's there, it's there in all the sports, but, you know, baseball, I think this documentary, I should say, does a good job at addressing all of those, you know, those, those black marks on the game. And it's, it's interesting to think, you know, in the 10th inning, which, which covers the, the 90s, 
that obviously there's a, a strike and a, and a lockout that that takes place in 94-95. In the 11th inning, which will be coming out later this year, of course, we'll talk about PEDs and steroid use all throughout the, the early part of the 2000s. And we almost got through the entire 2010s without a scandal. We almost got through the 2010s without our Black oh, Sox or PED scandal. And right there, right at wow. the end, a month. Granted, of course, if it would have come out it, now, it's, it's still, it still say, happened then. It happened in 2017, but yeah, yeah, good point. Sure, well, but and, even but still, no, if you think about it no. in that context, that's wild, I right? Your, uh, I totally buy that. as a That's remarkable, actually, the... Uh, and you, you 19 also to 19. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and mm. that mirrors another coincidence or perhaps just amazing novelty of the universe that you tweeted out about Patrick consider it, uh, considering the first pitch thrown by presidents at baseball games. Yeah. William Howard Taft was, was the first one to go out there and, you know, throw out a first pitch, and uh, as as this inning kind of details baseball's growth and how it it started becoming the American pastime, and hey, if the president's going and doing this thing, that obviously is gonna, you know, set set a couple things in motion, and and that's how this inning begins with 1910 William Howard Taft doing that, and then a hundred years later, in honor of that, Barack Obama, who had already thrown out the first pitch, I think. Uh, one of the previous year's All-Star games when it was in Chicago, um, when the White Sox hosted. But he threw out the the first pitch at a Nationals game at the 100th anniversary. Um, and, and since then, we have not had a president uh, throw out the first pitch since 2010. So we're actually approaching 10 years. I don't know if that's the longest span. We'll have to, to look into that, see if we can get some folks to research what the longest span is in between presidents throwing out the first pitch. But we are... We're we're going coming into our tenth season now this year. Wow. Um, and then okay, so I've got the notes on. I guess we had a, we had a few things on the war, uh, as Mom mentioned earlier, that um, uh, you know, as World War One started to rage, uh, it, like we would see later on in World War Two, uh, many players would go off and fight. Uh, 247, in fact, three were killed in action. Uh, there was there was just some phenomenal footage of guys carrying bats and gloves on the marching uh, battleships and marching and yeah behind Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah, uh, it, it was pretty amazing. Um, and of course, uh, I think the big story that a lot of people maybe know or, or is most known from this um, is that Christy Mathewson, one of the best at a time when the game was filled with, you know, degenerates and gamblers, Patrick, uh, the really one of the true greats in terms of both on the field and in terms of character uh, was exposed to poison gas, ending his career immediately. And he would die seven years later, but not before he was able to play a huge role in this whole black Sox scandal. But, um, just a tragic. Ricky. He, yeah, he he right. served too. Yeah. Did someone reached out to me on Twitter and they said um, that you know didn't anyone realize that there was going to be you know World War Two because everyone called it World War One 
I said, no, I, I don't think they called it World War One at that time. No, we didn't. Uh, it, it wasn't was like clairvoyant, like, oh, that's right. Mm. World War One. Oh, man, World War II is going to be even better, baby. No, that's not, not sequel, how it, right? that works, the unfortunately. Sequel. Not quite, yeah. Um, and then... There is an Irish. No way. I don't want to get to that yet. I, I I skipped one thing in my notes. I think this happened a little bit earlier, but we did get a little bit of a Grover Cleveland Alexander. Uh, my other dude. The, yeah, this, I also okay, love so, him. I also love him. And they compared him to your boy. They they compared him to Christy Mathewson mm-hmm. and Walter Johnson. They said he was basically the third of that trio. So, other than what they told us in the doc about uh, that time he took a line shot right to the forehead was unconscious for two days lost his vision developed epileptic seizures but still managed to be a phenomenal baseball player holy cow <laughs> yeah he's he's a, he's an interesting dude i actually haven't read a biography on him but he he just pops up everywhere I'm shocked. he played for a lot of <laughs> yeah he 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 played a, on a lot of different teams so he was a part of so much um yeah, he. The interesting thing about him and his alcoholism that, um, you know, the documentary touches on that I've I've since learned was that what he did, like a lot of other players during that time, is is that they actually used alcohol to control other symptoms. So, one way to control epileptic seizures is to, I guess, drink copious amounts of of alcohol. So at that time, it would have been better to, you know, be considered, you know, a, a drunkard than it would have been to be considered someone who is, you know, is epileptic and, you know, has an obvious weakness. So that was, you kind of, kind of feel bad again, son of alcoholics too, as well. Um, you know, shell shocked in world war one. He was another guy who served according to, um, actually let me mention this other thing. He also played on a team called, um, Oh my, I, I, the house of David. That's what it's called. If you, if you search Grover Cleveland, Alexander, AKA old Pete, and you do house of David, you'll see some amazing photographs of big old Pete Alexander and these bearded guys who are in, you know, like Navy uniforms with a full gigantic, like longer than Charlie Blackman's beard. So, um, Pete went around and he played in a lot of tournaments, you know, uh, in the off season to make money uh, because he had such a notable name. But if you, if you go to baseball reference, there's something there that uh, we haven't talked about. I don't think throughout the series and it's called jaws. It's a system that was created by Jay Jaffe who writes for fan graphs. And it's, it's basically, I think it stands for Jaffe's um, you know, wind share system or uh, in order to evaluate players and where they stand all time as far against the greats. So it's a combination of war, um, a combination of peak war. So like how good were they at their peak? You go and look at Sandy Koufax, who's a guy who's still alive today. He didn't pitch that long ago. His numbers aren't, don't stand out that much. He didn't compile because he had such a short career. So how can you, you know, measure him up against the likes of Walter Johnson, Cy Young, you know, even, even some contemporaries, uh, you know, Bob Gibson, Tom Seaver, things of that nature. So he kind of compiled all of this together. And if you look on that list, Grover Cleveland Alexander is actually the fifth all-time pitcher. It's Walter Johnson, Cy Young. I should have left this screen up. Um, and then two uh, Kid Nichols, uh, Roger Clemens, and then 
boom, right after that is Grover Cleveland Alexander. So he's, again, one of those names that when you look at his statistics and, and, and you look at the different metrics that evaluate players, you go, how do I not know more about this guy? Or how have I never even heard of him? I, I know we're going to have some listeners that have probably never heard of Grover Cleveland Alexander. So he's definitely one of those guys. It's nice that there's a, there's a little you know spotlight shined on him for folks to go back and, and learn a little bit more about. Yeah, uh, Jaws was something that uh, a lot of people were using during the Larry Walker Hall of Fame debate. Manny Randawa, of course, yeah. using it as much as he could because according to this statistic, Larry Walker is the 10th best right fielder of all time, three spots ahead of Shoeless Joe Jackson. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was that I, I immediately went to that and I said, "Oh, is he just ahead of, or maybe just behind of of Walker?" And you know, I, I guess this will kind of be our our foray into to talking about Joe Jackson. But you know, when when his career was was cut short, there uh, he was only 32 years old, and you know, was coming off a, a 7.5 WAR season that they almost certainly did not call a 7.5 war season in 1920. <laughs> they, they did not. Just like they, did not, they didn't no. call it World War One during that time. <laughs> but he, he he had a lot more to give. And, you know, had he been able to to play out the, the string of games at the end of his career, you know, he you know, he could have been fifth all time. He he most sure surely would have been ahead of Larry Walker, but you know, regardless, I'm glad you brought it up in those con- in that context because it does go to show you how an all-time great like Joe Jackson is is in the same general conversation as the Rockies' own Larry Walker. So yeah, 408 he hit 408 his rookie season, 356 lifetime, third highest. He named his bat Black Betsy, or someone named his bat Black Betsy. <laughs> um, so I had to, to, you remember this in fifth grade, <laughs> mom, when I, no, when we did the, I don't. Oh, oh <laughs> Patrick, mom, do you remember, you remember when <laughs> I was in fifth grade? Um, the blast <laughs> from the past thing that we did at school where, uh, all the kids would, uh, learn everything they could about a person from history and then dress up as that person and pretend to be them. And we would all like sit at desks and all the, all the parents would come in and ask us questions. And, uh, you know, we would, as that person, try to answer them. And for this thing, I was shoeless Joe Jackson. And so wow. uh, I, I learned a lot about this uh, very early on. Um, I'm very biased in favor. Every time somebody on the dock started talking about it, he didn't he didn't know what he was doing, man. I'm like, I know. I don't think so there. <laughs> Well, and you notice that one of the commentators said, well, I guess he forgot he was supposed to lose when he was hitting. (laughs) He just forgot because by his hitting record, you could not tell. The guy could always rake. Um, But yeah, I always distinctly remember too, um, kind of making the argument and making the case as a fifth grader to a parent. And I had this really cool, I had an old glove, an old baseball glove that dad had uh, real old glove. Like they would do those. You saw them making them in the thing. They're yeah. that bulky, whatever glove, a little yeah. piece of padding. And I remember having this conversation with the guy and I'll never forget this. I'll 
just some random parent of some kid I didn't even know going, I don't think you did it, but you shouldn't have taken the money, Joe. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> that guy. And you didn't say only That's a cool guy. That. Right? Like that guy was like, it was, it was really, really cool. It, it's a very, it's a very sad thing. And I'm obviously a, a big Shoeless Joe fan too, but it reminds me of the Jim Thorpe story in a way that somebody, you know, got robbed of, of big accomplishments because he had played ball part-time for a pittance of money. But if you got any money, you were a pro and not allowed. And look mm-hmm. at that in contrast. To other things. Yeah, yeah I think that ended up happening with Eddie. Go ahead, go ahead. I think that ended up happening with 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 Eddie Collins, who was was also on that that nineteen nineteen team. Was that like he uh, tried to play a game um, under a different different name with the Philadelphia A's, and then he got found out, and he lost his college eligibility, and then was forced to become a pro. So obviously, that much had had a, had a much happier ending. Eddie Collins, one of the, the all-time greats at second base, but um, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, it's it's very sad, and there's there's enough doubt, too. That's the other thing, is that there's enough doubt there where you go, well, maybe he didn't. You know, maybe maybe there's enough to make you go, you know, to, to make you flip-flop and say, well, even though he was deemed one of the bad guys, maybe he wasn't one of the bad guys. He also did better in the 1919 World Series than he did in the 1917 World Series when the White Sox actually won the World Series against right. the Giants. He only hit 304 in that series with no homers, two RBIs, whereas against the Reds, he had 375 with one homer and six RBIs. So, I mean, it's uh, it's sad. It, it is. And, and in a world where ball players are fairly compensated, this is a thing that never would have happened. Um, yeah. It not not to to justify it and not to bring up this old debate, but we did get into it, um, and AJ and I really got into it on the Denver Sports Podcast during the Houston Astros thing about which scandal was worse. But I, the Astros. And I well, and another reason why I would no. say that, and I know that I know <laughs> that some people will never get over that these guys cheated to lose, and for them that's the ultimate cardinal sin. But for me, um, the other thing is that there was a real life justification for it. These guys weren't getting paid and their lives were going to be significantly better. If they pulled this thing off, uh, the Astros just did it to win. Cause they could all those guys and their families would be, would have been fine if they hadn't implemented the electronic stealing system. So I can't Astros doubt that point. Away- That's fair. Okay. And the Astros took away money from other players. If other players had won the games that they played against Astros, then they get those bonuses too. I think you or can argue that's 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 very fair. But as as you know, one um, high ranking official in the MLB um, said to me when I when I asked that because I, I I really don't think it's that close as far as Black Sox and, and the Astros and the Orange Sox. Honestly, uh, <laughs> but oh, but Patrick, as but as Patrick Patrick. <laughs> But as but as one high ranking official in the MLB told me that he said it, it's really not close because you know at the start of spring training um, there is a I don't know if it's a local police officer what it is but there is um, you know an illegal officiant that is there that stands in front uh, at the beginning of every spring training 
and for all 30 teams uh, in, at, at all 30 spring training facilities where that rule specifically is gone over talking about gambling and it, its impact and how you will be barred from the game permanently, just like Joe Jackson and just like Pete Rose has been barred. And that's something that has, that has come about directly because of this incident. And that's, that's a, that's huge. That is a big deal. And that's, that that's unlike anything in, in, in the history of baseball. And yeah, that's, well, that's just because they had, uh, they gave the first ever commissioner job to a guy who was ready to do all that stuff. That doesn't change any of it for me. Like, that's interesting that, that, that had the impact on the game, but I could it argue still does. that the it Astros, still does. well, right. But I'm still like, I could very easily argue that what the Astros did should have had that impact on the game, but the commissioner didn't choose to act, but the commissioner not acting right for me doesn't in any way change the nature of which scandal is worse. So I think that's interesting, but for me, that element of it just doesn't change the badness of the scandal. Like, Yeah, I yeah, definitely it would be interesting think, if I definitely think the Houston one is much worse than this uh, by leaps and bounds. So maybe morally, <laughs> morally, that is, I think, I think you're right. Like that, when you say yeah. morally, when you look at it like that way, uh, yeah, you, you're actually, you're hundred percent right. Morally, that is by far the Astros, no doubt. Um, you know, Drew did an interview with one of the Rockies pitchers and I forget who it is now. And it was a couple, three or four years ago, maybe. And after talking about whatever it was in general, he started talking about, we were talking about bad calls. And, you know, how much, if you're a pitcher, do bad ball and strike calls matter? And he says, do you know what it means when you're trying to sign a new contract or get traded or whatever, where your ERA is? Do you know what it's like? And so we forget about some sure. of those kinds of things. And I just think that, for me, the Astros were willing to cheat their fellow players throughout the league. Uh, and... It's not right. It's wrong. Well, the, the, some of the Black Sox players, they, they cheated their own teammates. And, and that, again, Burns goes through and talks about one of the players singing a song. And it's like, oh, my gosh, they're just unabashed yeah, about dude. how open yeah. they were. Yeah. Like, that's just so that, foolish. <laughs> that was a reporter that walked up and down the aisles, I thought. No, that was, it, no, it was, that was another a player. player? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was, that was that's probably better. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty bad. That's That's pretty bad. But... We're gonna have to get in touch with John Boy and see if he's got any uh, any breakdowns uh, for the the nineteen nineteen season. Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> right, for sure. Uh, there, there were quite a few quotes, uh, <laughs> amazing quotes that came out of this whole thing. When uh, Lefty Williams later told the story of the first time he was approached by a gambler, and he said, "I told him that I would refuse to answer right then." Uh, that one, that one really s stuck in me. Uh, the New York World writing of Joe Jackson that for a few dollars he sold his honor. Uh, mm. that, that 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 one hurt. Um, there was um, the the manager of the Black Sox, Kid Gleason, who during the series said, "I don't know what's the matter, but I do know something's wrong with my gang." That 
that hurts. Yes. That one's really yeah, that's, brutal that's, when we're talking about the human yeah. cost of, of this. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and then you kind of alluded to it earlier was that Christy Matthewson who, you know, finished his career with, with Cincinnati ever so briefly was, was still a part of the Reds organization. And then he was, he was sitting in the press box and someone said, well, how do you, how do you know that they're cheating? Because again, you look at the stats that they look like any other game. All right. An error gets made here. Or, All right. A guy, you know, fails to come through with runners in scoring position. Um, but Matthewson was able to kind of point those little nuances, those little things that, you know, a, a pro ball player is able to do and, and has done, you know, hundreds of times during the regular season, but yet in, in a big spot, like, like the 1919 world series, you know, fails to do. And you say, something's not right. Something's not right. They could have been a little more subtle too. <laughs> if I was going to do it, I'd have been much craftier about how it was done. <laughs> Well, Daniel Okren even went out and was just like, they would have been a little bit smarter if they had just won the first game and then the odds would have actually improved. And then they would have, you know, maybe made even more money and it would have, there would have been no doubt whatsoever. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting point for sure. Um, The, a few other quotes I had from out of this, when the sporting news, man, people were mad. Uh, wrote, they will be remembered from now on only for the depths of depravity to which they could sink. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Um, that that's. Uh, I did note there was a whole series of, I wasn't able to write them all down, but at one point they just started giving us quotes from the New York Times uh, that I just, there was just some absolutely incredible baseball writing Um about some of the world series games, but anyway, to get back on point for some of these quotes from this world series, uh, the, the two most heartbreaking, uh, one that is super famous though, who knows again, I, I think it's so great. Uh, it, it's a perfect parallel for this entire thing. I sent out on Twitter when we were getting ready to get to this part in the doc, you know, here it is. It's the black Sox scandal, the story that everybody knows, but nobody knows entirely. Um, and this quote, the, in, in the doc, it's, it ain't true, Joe, it ain't true. Uh, of course there's say it ain't so, um, yeah, it's sort of more famous, but maybe a little Abner Doubleday legend, uh, but say it ain't so Joe, like symbolizes the, the way the fans felt the hopelessness of their own fans. Uh, the people they they cheated the most for sure their own fans yeah and for for those that are interested in in learning more details about you know the black Sox scandal of course the the book by john sales eight men out you know is 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 a great kind of starting resource but in uh saber um jacob palmranke great guy he actually put out a book uh, a few years ago and if you're a saber member you get this absolutely for free. You can even, you know, download it on your computer, tablet, phone, whatever it is called scandal on the South side. And he actually went back and was able to kind of correct some of the things that, you know, was, were originally inaccurate by sales uh, and find some other interesting pieces of information too. I know, um, again, if you are a member of Sabre, uh, this might even be free, but there's a, a, in September, they did a Sabre Black Sox scandal research committee symposium. Uh, 
So I'm not sure if they get together every year or if it's every two years, but they continue to go in and, and dig deeper and try to research and find more resources and, you know, even learn about the leagues that Joe Jackson played in under different names. You know, um, I think he, he played until his late 40s and was still a, a quality ball player trying to trying to make money playing baseball. So um, there are a lot of really good resources out there to kind of understand a lot more of the ins and outs because it's 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 so fascinating and makes you think like, man, you, they could have done it could have been a two part movie, you know, eight men out if, if it's done the right way with all of the details and all of the interesting characters, uh, most of them bad, unfortunately, but. Uh, nevertheless, it's 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 a fantastic um, and sad story, uh, as a lot of them are throughout this documentary. A lot of sad stories. Yeah. Um, no way to transition properly into this. So I'm just going to remind you that Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term <laughs> projects. Since 1972, a Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. Uh, be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and tell them who sent you. Before I get to the, the saddest quote for me, uh, and then a couple of more hopeful ones, uh, I did want to touch on some of the other details of the scandal that we haven't gotten to. Um, I particularly liked some of the accusations uh, of fake news by <laughs> people who didn't believe it. Uh, I thought those were... Interesting. We haven't mentioned the name Arnold Rothstein, and we really should. Um, the guy who was responding. In fact, this whole segment is is brought in uh, with a quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald's Great Gatsby, talking about that's the man. He's the one who did it. He's the one who threw the World Series. And really, if any one person is most responsible for it, it is the gambler Arnold Rothstein. Um who was uh, later shot to death by a gambler he accused of fixing a poker game. So maybe karma's Aww. real. I don't know. Yeah. True. You know, things happen. Man. Um, Ending on a low note. <laughs> and <laughs> right, right. And, and that's Fullerton, what it, it, uh, go. No, do your thing first. Cause I want to shine. No, just that, I want to get to yeah. the happy times. <laughs> I, I love, yeah, well, I, I love how you were able to capture so many of the great quotes that are in this. There were a few that I, I, I tried looking up and I, and I couldn't, couldn't get it. Um, but how you, how you mentioned the great Gatsby, you know, makes that reference in there. And that's actually where this chapter gets its name from the faith of 50 million. So it's, it's yeah. actually taken, you know, uh, from that, from that, that quote referencing Rothstein from great Gatsby. Right. Oh, and there was also, I almost missed this one, uh, Comiskey offering $20,000 to anyone who could prove it. I assume he never paid up. One. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't pay for anything. Didn't sell one. <laughs> that, that, the noted cheapskate offers $20,000 to anyone who can prove a thing that we all saw with our own two eyes. Um, of course, nobody did go to jail for this. And, and the irony that... Uh, you know, the day after, I think most people know this too, but that the day after uh, they were the eight men out 
suspended from baseball for life by the newly appointed or later appointed, I guess it would be uh, at the time he was just the uh, single, he was the judge or, or whatever, but Kennesaw Mountain Landis. We, we, we need to say the name. I think most people know it, but an interesting character um, debates over whether or not he, he's a hero or not. There, were, there was a lot of talk about him being this sort of blustering, full of himself guy. And like, okay, I don't know. He's still a hero in my book. Like, I don't know. I, I judge a guy based on the actions of what he actually did. And I, they were like, oh, his judgeship stuff got turned over. But for the game of baseball, in my eyes, the, the guy's a hero. So. They call him a showboat judge. A sh- showboat judge. I mean, maybe, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's a dichotomy with, with so many just leaders in general in, in the world um, that, you know, they do great things and they have great intentions, but they're also human beings and they make mistakes. You know, say what you will about you know, what Martin Luther King did for civil rights, but as a husband, actually, you know, was, wasn't that, right. that great of, of a husband, um, unfortunately. And, 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 you know, that's, that's so minor. So we don't even need to, to focus on that. Let's focus on the, the good things he did. And, and I think that's kind of the same with, with Kennesaw Mountain Landis. You focus on what he was able to do to the game, kind of creating the, the role of a commissioner, um, you know, wasn't as much in the, the pocket of the owners as, um, you know, current and more recent commissioners have been. We get it that that's that's their role. Um, but you know, he he went along with the idea that you know African Americans couldn't play in Major League Baseball, and and you know, kind of behind the scenes, there was some things that he did. I don't I don't think he lobbied and pushed too hard on these things. But when they were, you know, when he was approached with it, or you know, it was kind of put in his face, he. I think I think he understood the ramifications of his actions, right? Um, we know a lot of players and Americans, frankly, for that matter, during this time and in our country's history, were racist or or you know had you know racist leanings and tendencies, um, but and and didn't really care that anyone later on down the line would would read a letter or find out about certain actions that they took against African Americans, um, and I think you know. Landis was was a smart guy, and he probably realized that some of his legacy may be tied to these things. So he tried to do a lot of it in secrecy. Um, but the bottom line is, again, uh, seg- uh, integration of the major leagues did not take place on his watch. For sure. Um, but like I said, at least one of the heroes of, of this particular yeah. um, He did right in this in, situation, in no doubt. Um and Hugh Fullerton, and remembering that if not for a free and independent and quality press, um, this story may never have come out. We may never have learned the truth. We may never have gotten to clean up baseball, and that maybe gambling goes on. You know, who knows what the ramifications could have been. The, the way the documentary, what a weird way to pr- pronounce that, tripped on that word, um, <laughs> the, the way the doc presents it, is, you know, this was a very difficult time for baseball. They were kind of teetering on the edge. And and I think there's some merit to saying that uh, what Judge Landis did probably saved the game. Well, that and the thing we're going to end on. But that, you know, if not for, the, I, I, look, I, I know I'm biased here, but if not for the press, if not for people seeking the truth and, and doing a good job, 
uh, we might not know this story. We, we wouldn't have any of the movies. If nothing else, we wouldn't have any of the movies. All the movies and books and yeah. Kevin, are you saying Kevin Costner owns owns his career owes his career to Kennesaw Mountain Landis <laughs> and Hugh Fullerton? That's right. That's that's exactly right. That's right. One hundred percent. So the and then I did want to do before we get into the happy quotes. I've got two happy quotes after this, but the the one that hurts me even more than say it ain't so was the one that the final sub chapter is named after, and it's Joe Jackson's wife. When they they read that, uh, when they asked him what she thought about him taking some money, a very little bit of the money he was promised, um, that she said it was an awful thing to do. And yeah, yeah, she was right. Yeah, but yeah, no, no two ways two ways about it. Uh, I did miss, I missed this guy's name. I, I'm going to have to go back and find it. I'm going to uh, have it for the article uh, that we put up. But uh, he was a White Sox fan, but uh, he said he was 15 years old at the time and his heart broken was, his heart was broken by this whole thing. But he, uh, he said most of the Black Sox were not crooks. They were dumb farm boys who didn't know anything about finance or anything else. And... There's at least a part of me that that chooses to believe that. Maybe just for Joe Jackson, certainly uh, for Buck Weaver, uh, who like spent the rest of his life trying to prove. Like when someone works that hard, I, you know, I, t- I tend to lean a little bit in their direction. Uh, and with everything we know about Joe Jackson, uh, so I'm glad they included that guy and that part for those of us who maybe. When there is ambiguity about the past, would prefer to believe in the slightly less cynical version of events. <laughs> you know that um, is, I think, is really important because one of the things they did, they they didn't mention how poorly these guys were treated. These guys were treated worse than many of the other players on other teams, just because of who their owner was and paid less. And at the very beginning, I really like how they start out. Uh, these sessions and they always set the stage and they did mention that this is the first time baseball players are really trying to, you know, get some agency over their own lives in this. And there were some labor movements that were started for the same thing uh, because people were working, you know, themselves to death and hours and hours for, people and not getting compensated, much less having benefits or anything like we think of today. Yeah. I know players obviously are making, you know, millions of dollars and, um, and even if you're, you're making the league minimum at, at half of a million dollars, that's, you know, that's, man, that's several years salaries for a lot of people. And that's only for your first three years. And of course, you know, when you're in the minor leagues, that's um, you know, you're, you're getting paid, you know, pittance there, but, the same issues going on, like you say, Barbara, is that, you know, the players are seeing how much money the owners are making and they're, they're seeing that they're only making, you know, a small fraction of that. And that still happens today where players feel like they are only getting, you know, a small fraction of what they should be getting because without them there, there isn't a game, you know, when, when the owners locked them out in 1995 and they were going to go ahead with, you know, replacement players, that would have been awful. That's, that's like what the oh, XFL yeah. is yeah. where, where there, there aren't, there aren't 
players whose names you know. There aren't those characters or isn't those history. I, I know, you know, rooting for a team is, is rooting for laundry, but you're you're rooting for a lot more than that as well. And and the players and the and the stories that go behind those those players. And, you know, it's 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 a story that um isn't as important, I think, when in in baseball's, you know, in present time. Um, you know, the, what, what percentage that, that players should make of the profits and things of that nature. But it's still one that, that players are fighting for each and every day, even in the year 2020. Because the owners were uber rich then, and the players were very, very poor then. Now the owners are uber rich, and the players, make, like you said, make a lot more money. But they do play for a limited amount of time. Some people can have other careers after baseball, any pro ball player you know, plays for a certain amount of time. And then you have to still have money after that time to live on because you still have to buy groceries and things, right? And if you manage it well, but I think we've all seen the 30 by 30, you know, that talks about the bankrupt one. It's hard. Mm. One thing I think professional sports should do, uh, all of them, is I think players, I think ball players should have uh, health care from, from all the leagues for the rest of their lives because they, they wear up their bodies faster to play a great game that we all love to see. Can't argue with that. Yeah. There, it's funny. We've talked about the, there are a lot of parallels between this and, and pro wrestling. And there were more in this one again, too, of like, I saw us both kind of tweeting about them, but I, I kind of thought of the federal league a little bit more. uh, You went with XFL. I thought of, AEW because their entire appeal was we're going to treat our ball players better. We're going to pay them more. Uh, we're going to, you know, not work them quite so hard. We're going to treat them better. And that's going to be our appeal. And then Ben Johnson's response, the American league president was the exact same as Vince McMahon's like, fine. Then if anybody leaves my league, then you're out forever. And he didn't hold true to that again, like Vince McMahon, who had <laughs> Sting wrestled in his ring, um, but it, it it reminded me so much of this uh, of the pettiness between current billionaire professional wrestling owners and saying, "Well, if you leave me to take a better job where you're going to be featured more and make more money, then you are dead to me forever because I'm trying to maintain a stranglehold on this." And, and th- these were the times, man. These were the times. Great, great parallel. And there's actually six guys that jumped to the Federal League that later, you know, they were inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, which which isn't the same as the WWE Hall of Fame because it's just baseball. It's they, you know, Baseball Hall of Fame doesn't <laughs> yeah, care, you know, if no. you were in the Players League, Beer and Whiskey League, you know, if you played ball in America, you were good. But um, Chief Bender, Mordecai Brown, Bill McKechnie, Eddie Plank, mm-hmm. uh, Ed Roush, and Colorado's own, well, I guess we'll adopt him, Joe Tinker all played in the Federal League and were later instated in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. So I want to end uh, this conversation where the episode itself ended uh, with my favorite quote of the whole thing. Of course, coming from Buck O'Neill, superstar of the entire show. And he said, a lot of people had stopped going to baseball for the reason of the scandal. And here comes Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth started hitting that ball out of the ballpark, and that brought him back. 
said a guy with skinny legs and broad shoulders. That's right. Called him a guy with skinny legs and he broad shoulders. Boy, could he hit. Uh, so that sounds what like we'll a lot like Mark McGuire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Saving baseball. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, for all else, but th- there are parallels there too. We'll be able to get into all that stuff yeah. uh, when we watch the next episode. We'll be on episode four on Thursday. We'll be uh, live tweeting it at 5 p.m. and doing the podcast afterward. Hopefully, you'll continue to watch along with us. You'll use the hashtag DNVR watches. You'll keep following all of us on Twitter at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman, at DNVR underscore Rockies, at whatever we get my mother set up with <laughs> once we get her back on Twitter. And uh, yeah, just keep, you know, subscribing to stuff. Uh, make sure you're helping out. All of our sponsors, you're drinking Breck Brew, you're having it delivered to you through Drizzly, uh, you're staying safe, uh, you're staying inside as much as you possibly can without driving yourself crazy, uh, and continuing to be absolutely awesome. Until next time, we'll continue to be absolutely us, and we'll see you at the ballpark. Hey, you know there's only one place to get the true Colorado mountain pie, and you still can. You can get Bojo's, you can get it right now. They're offering 30% off takeout orders when you ask for it. Make sure to tag them and us. It's one of these great local businesses that you've got to support. Uh, plus, you got to eat. We all still got to eat. They're offering takeout. Uh, there's delivery. DoorDash delivers. Uh, Bojo's. Uh, the Drizzly. Check in on those guys. They're a, a delivery service. Um, but the, you can also go and get takeout. You'll get 30% off If you come in and do that, they can hook you up with all kinds of great pizza, uh, salads, the honey cheese bread, just absolutely fantastic. They'll cook to your needs, gluten-free, whatever you need. So make sure to mention DNVR and make a takeout order with the best pizza in the world, Bojo's.